you should be thinking cyber savvy all the time. So I try to make sure that all the training and, and resources that we have, make sure people understand that the bottom line is that we are servicing, helping patients with rare diseases so that they can have a better life. And, and if we don't do our due diligence, then we might not be able to do that. We might not be able to have clinical trials. We might not be able to have you know, products that are available for, for these patients that need it. So trying to focus on that has been dramatic. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategists, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. Stan, so who do we have joining us this week? Bob Gay, who is the acting CISO of Mementa Pharmaceuticals. And Bob, it is great to have you with us today. Well, thanks, Stan. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here and talk about security. If you don't mind, if you could just go ahead and, and share some of your background with our listeners. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so I really cut my teeth in security working for the Federal Reserve Bank from 1999 through 2009. Uh, we supported all the internet and directory services for the entire Federal Reserve System working in conjunction with the uh, board down in DC. We had Bureau of Public Debt Relations, Private Wire, all those fun things within the financial industry. And then in 2009, I left there and went to work for a year at the FBI's CGIS facility down in West Virginia. They're responsible uh, for all the computer justice information systems for the FBI. So it went from financial to criminal records and then um, in 2009, I, I jumped into the pharmaceutical industry. I worked at Biogen and then uh, went to a spinoff of Biogen called Bioveritive, which was a, uh, Biogen decided to um, shift off their hemophilia product into a separate company. So the product already existed. So it wasn't a startup from scratch. It was more of a spinoff. So I had the uh, security there, which was interesting, starting from scratch, Greenfield. And then... Um, since then, I've been at uh, Momentum Pharmaceuticals. Bob, I think it's interesting to kind of take a look at the last you know, 10 or plus years as you just described in this biotech and pharma vertical, if you will. And, and just what's your perspective as it relates to, you know, what are the kind of the key areas that you look at in, in either maturing a program that you may have kind of adopted, or in some cases, you said starting from scratch and, you know, being able to put your own fingerprints on how you want to focus and drive a security program in, in an early stage you know, pharmaceutical organization as an example? Yeah, it's a great question, Rob. Um, it has been very interesting because for me, it was going from a very, very secure environment of both the Fed and the FBI and then jumping into pharmaceutical in 2011. And I can't speak for other companies, but um, Biogen was behind the times, right? There was very limited security. And um, the, the, the pluses and minuses of that time were things were still controlled on the inside. We were in that old mind, mindset of, on-site uh, premises, firewalls, uh, remote access, all those kinds of things were controlled by teams and members on the inside. And part of the problem I saw there too is that uh, many companies were outsourcing the security. And I, I found personally that if you don't have that skin in the game, you're not going to get as good a service as if it's actually staff for that company. So as things started to progress, um, getting the organizations, the pharmaceuticals up on security where 
you know, policies, got to have the foundational policies there. And then as those organizations started to go and do more and more in the cloud, so to speak, that became a problem as well. Vendor management, where's your data, all of those things. Uh, so it's it's been an uphill battle for sure. What did you find that the pharmaceutical, um, at least the ones that, that the, the, the folks that you interacted with at the executive level were more compliance-based or risk-based? Great question, Stan. I think that's changed quite a bit. Uh, I've been lucky enough the last two years, or almost two years now, to have direct uh, relations with the board at Momenta, and they were very savvy. Uh, some of those members had had peers or friends that were part of large cyber attacks against other pharma, like Merck and other ones that have happened. So they started to understand and ask questions that were pertinent to cybersecurity, which is great because then that helps the program get the funding and, and the pushes that it needs to do the right things. This wasn't always the case where I think prior, it was all about uh, compliance and, and just dotting an I and crossing a T, making sure that you passed some sort of audit or compliance uh, with, with either the FDA or another agency, uh, whether it be in the European areas or not. But yeah, that's changed drastically, at least from the conversations I've had recently with other pharma companies, the boards now are savvy and are getting it. They're asking the right questions. That's good because we're still way behind from my peers in, in pharma, uh, as you have you seen recently, the crazy attacks on supply chain, healthcare, ransomware, everything. That is now at least um, in the forefront of the board members. So that should be trickling down. So hopefully companies that don't have the resources and staff will get that because they just can't afford to otherwise, especially now with COVID. Uh, it, it, you know, I mean, healthcare is in, in the bullseye. Mm-hmm. It have sure is. Resource uh, to help them. You would yeah. think that the bad guys would give us a break, but they, they, <laughs> the, that they're, they're seemingly targeting the healthcare sector specifically with these attacks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually read a few articles, uh, InfoGuard posted about how uh, one of the, one of the groups was, was claiming to have stopped because they did not want to adversely affect hospitals. But as, as we've seen, that's that's not the case. It's just picked up. Uh, healthcare exploded in the last year in terms of metrics, in terms of attacks, because of all that forefront. And they know that they have to pay. They can't afford not to. Um, it's a it's a terrible situation. It truly is. It truly is. And I think you know one of the things that you were just expanding upon, which is which is great to hear, and we've been seeing it in, in other verticals as well as as you mentioned over the past few years, right? The 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 executives the boards are really understanding that um, you know security cybersecurity is much more than just that checkbox approach compliance oriented kind of in the past right and yeah. so seeing that level of understanding and investment and translating that to the things that you're trying to accomplish when you go into an organization programmatically that align to what the business is trying to deliver is is key right and I think especially in pharma um, as we've been discussing you know intellectual property is paramount. Right? especially in some of the early stage companies that you've been a part of. What, what have you seen kind of in that area? What are you seeing you know, as it relates to some of the good ways to best approach securing intellectual property? You know, it was interesting while you were talking, Rob, I was thinking of what's the biggest change that I've seen and what I try to promote. And um, I am actually, I, I'm of the mindset to flip all of those questions, protecting the privacy, protecting intellectual property to the individual user. I need to make the users more savvy. And and how do I do that? How do I make them understand that everything they do and forget the fact we're talking 
work from home, work in the office, that's all gone now. And COVID has completely fixed that, but I never liked that mindset anyway. You should be thinking cyber savvy all the time. You know, if, you, if you're dealing with a personal breach yourself, you know, your wife calls you, says, Rob, your bank account's empty. You're not going to be able to focus on work. You're going to be trying to clean that up. But it's all the same thing, Rob. Every, everything you do now is all a target of the actors. So I try to make sure that all the training and, and resources that we have, make sure people understand that it's about everything they do all the time, themselves, the company, and, and to protect our patients, right? I mean, that's the big story where, look, the bottom line is that we are servicing, helping patients with rare diseases so that they can have a better life. And, and if we don't do our due diligence, then we might not be able to do that. We might not be able to have clinical trials. We might not be able to have you know, products that are available for, for these patients that need it. So trying to focus on that has been dramatic in, in the sense that um, I, I've always thought that if I could make the, the staff, the team, all the way up, and like I said, the board is getting more savvy with this, even having these conversations with them, like, what are you guys doing for password management? You guys are the focus of attack. People know you're on these boards for these companies. They're going to want to get inside information. You know, several years back, there was the Fin4 tax where the bad guys would be going after executive assistants for um, senior leadership at companies to get inside information about what was going on with those companies. Um, you know, and that worked. They were very lucrative in, in those attacks. Very, very clandestine, very sophisticated. So trying to make all of those users just say, stop for a second, wait a minute, this doesn't look right. And then you can get some metrics on that too, uh, Robin, and stand by doing those testings and those trainings, uh, tools like Know Before that are constantly sending phishing emails and you can get the real live data. What's the click rate for your organization? So I, I know I took your, your question, Robin, turned it a little bit, but I, I think making it very simple for everyone that all the information that we work with, make sure you think about it. What, what am I, should I be working with this information? You know, uh, GDPR, that's a, a, a big push last May where the European agency said, no, the safe harbor, the, the, the controls that we have in place with the US and, and even within Europe are not sufficient. We're redoing this. So everybody dropped everything to figure out what that was. And I'm like, let's just keep pushing that you need to protect information. And then we can expand on what GDPR really is, because it's yeah. essentially just that. It's interesting the way you talk about it, though, kind of how you started off, which is I completely agree with. It's it's a cultural kind of mindset approach. But when you go down to the end user aspect yeah. of it, it's how do you personalize it? How do you get them to think about what does it mean to me? Because ultimately, they, they, they yeah. think that way at times. So what does it mean to me? And kind of, you know, what is it that we're protecting within our business? How do I personalize this in my own personal life, right? And protecting data yeah. privacy for me. It's starting to kind of come around. So I think um, that's an interesting approach. I haven't spent a lot of time in this vertical, but I did mm -hmm. support this NIH study and building security into the system supporting it. And I found that the mindset of researchers, which is all around collaboration, yep. is difficult to rein in. That is part of what they need to do is collaborate with others. Yes. And I, I imagine that on the one hand, they get it in the sense that they're always looking at how to publish and they're trying to protect what they're doing that would enable them to be able to publish. At the same time, though, they're trying to work and share information with others as part of the study. How do you get that 
culture, which is about collaboration to understand you also need to protect because the data is going everywhere now, right? There is no yeah. easy way of reining it in. That is a great point, Stan. When when you think about the the difficult workers to convince, right? They're focused, they're working, they just want to get done what they want to get done. And and you're absolutely right. And this doesn't take, this is not an overnight thing. But um, what I found is persistence um, in, in getting in front of them and saying, look, we're not an adversary here. And I mean, security in general, let us work with you, tell us what you need to do, and we'll make sure you do that securely. And, and there's there's also the fear and uncertainty and doubt that you have to show them, Rob, examples of where it fails. Okay, if you're going to do this, look at this example. Here's, here's a case of Acme organization that did this and didn't pay attention, and then they were shut down. They couldn't work because their, their computers were compromised, right? So you, you have to kind of work with them and just keep, keep, keep at it and, and be persistent. And I found that by making business relationships with these groups, the research and development, the analytical development, and getting in front of them and have presentations and, and making it fun, making it so that we're not telling you, you've got to do this, blah, you know, because they'll just shut you off. It's, we're here to help you. We want to make, want to make sure your job is as easy as possible, but we also want to make sure that we don't find ourselves in the headlines. We don't want you to say, well, you know, company Acme's uh, intellectual property was stolen because they sent it in a clear text email to such and such, and that got forwarded, you know, so let's work, work with you and, and do these things. Now, you're going to end up getting controls too, right? You have to have controls, controls in place, policies, training, controls. It's, it's, I don't want to simplify it that way, but that's, to me, that's the best way to do it. What are the rules of the road? How do we protect the rules of the road? And how do we keep training people on what the rules of the road are? How do you keep track of where the data is, though, no, given the fact question. that it, it could be in yeah. cloud instances, it could yep. be in SaaS yep. solutions? Yeah, that's that's a big problem. And, th you know, there are tools out there to help you with that. But once again, it, unless you have something that wraps around the data itself, you know, I know there was a few companies out there that were ahead of their time where they would tag every, sin every single piece of information so that unless you had policy to say that this particular data could be viewed by Stan and Rob on a, on a website somewhere, it would just be garbage. It would be encrypted. Uh, but we're not there yet. I think that, you know, in the future of things, I think that's the way to go because you can't possibly know where it all is. You have tools, but the problem is do you have people reviewing that data to know if it's, if it's legit data. Is it even sensitive data? Um, is it okay to delete the data? What are, what are the ramifications around that? And then to your point, Stan, about research, I, I can remember being in a data um, privacy discussion and one of the researchers said, I, I, I can't, I need this data forever. I cannot relinquish it. I might, and this is true. I've seen this happen where very breakthrough drug discoveries happen for research that was 10 years old, but somebody remembered to go find that, but I hope it's protected, right? I mean, so that's the kind of information you need. Okay, we have a problem. These people need their data perpetuity. Well, maybe we do something like we have a process where, you know, stuff that's two or three years old, we, we drop it off to AWS and Glacier, but we, we know where it is. We know what it, what, it, what it is. And if they need to get it, we can pull it out of there rather than just having it sit around. Because you're right. Um, and, and then the whole SaaS based problem too, right? Okay, where are you putting your data? Do you know where it is? And 
I guarantee that not every company realizes how far and vast their data is because once you send it to someone, now you're at their, their control of where that data ends up. And that's a big concern, even for Momenta, that was a smaller company, uh, having in their past worked with biosimilars and then restructuring their organization to work on Nobel drugs. There was a concern from legal about lost information or in, you know intellectual property, something that shouldn't be disclosed being disclosed. And that's where you get into a whole kind of DLP discussion. Um, yeah, so it's not, there's a couple of ways to attack that. In my eyes, it's using cloud-based security tools that reside on the user's environment. So the user's laptop, you have a tool that allows monitoring regardless of whether it's SSL or not, and then making determinations. Well, this data is classified as confidential or restricted. So I'm not allowing it to go to any of these um, outside application, SaaS-based applications that are not permitted, right? So that's that's where you have to end up at some point if it's a big, big problem. But things that are already out there, you know, that's where you have to do your monitoring. So given the volume and the diversity of potential attack vectors, uh, whether it be to your brand or against systems, how do you keep aware of, of what's coming? And do you think to be able to handle that volume as well as the velocity, um, do you need to augment what we as people can do with other technology like artificial intelligence? Do you think that's something that is coming? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's been on the actor side for way too long, Stan, um, the AI piece, and we need to pull that back. But things like what we're doing right now, just having a discussion, um, talking about this, having a peer network, to me, that is huge. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've reached out and said, hey, are you guys seeing this kind of activity? It brings me back to the days of manually looking at firewall logs, asking other sites in the country, are you guys seeing any of this? Uh, we're seeing these IPs you know, from a, a known sanctioned state. Are you seeing that? No, we're not. Hmm. You know, Or one or two. It's so far beyond that time frame now where you cannot possibly do this on your own. You have to have some means of receiving information and it's so fast. That's a that's another bonus of having the social media and, and the sites like that where you can get instant notification about certain attacks and events that are happening. But to have that relayed back and, and having the capabilities, like you mentioned, Stan, with the artificial intelligence to take action. Like I said, we're, we're bringing up a domain that, that says Momenta Pharmaceuticals, but it's spelt with one letter different. Well, as soon as they see that, it gets immediately taken down. So that is, that's great, right? That's preventing you from having those headaches in the past where you wouldn't even know it was there until someone said, hey, did you know there's a domain similar to yours? Because you don't have those resources of, of people looking. And I'll, I'll run this backwards a little bit too to the question Rob asked about how do you get people to buy into this? And this is where it really happens, where you, you take these people and you make them part of your staff, right? I, I tell people at Momenta, you are part of the security team. Every single one of you plays a role. And when they reach out and say, hey, we saw this, you know, a phishing email from our former CEO, blasted that to the company, the next month's security newsletter, I call them out as being security star of the month. So now they feel good that they've done something that's been rewarded. And I, I can't tell you how that it's exploded, which is good. We want to reward people for doing that. See, you know, see something doesn't look right. It's not right. So say something. Bob, really insightful, great information all along the way. We really appreciate you sharing your experiences. That's what this is all about. But also 
looking at it differently, kind of reimagining this, which is what we focus on, right? In these conversations, different ways to go about putting cybersecurity in place. So you've been very helpful in providing some of those particular insights. Thank you for your time today, Bob. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes, a micro-focused line of business, where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.